Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, Paige Niedringhaus, and I'm joined by our panelist, TJ Van Toll. Hey everyone. And our special guest, Tanner Lindsley. Hi there. Tanner, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, why you're famous, and what you're going to be talking with us about today? Yeah. First of all, I would not say I'm famous. It certainly doesn't feel that way. I hope it doesn't come across that way. But I do a lot of software development, primarily a lot of open source software. And maybe that's where people have come to know my name. But I have a startup called Nozzle that I started with a couple of friends six years ago. And throughout the course of building that product, I needed a lot of help in from the ecosystem to build this product. And I turned to open source very early on. And one thing led to another and I, I started contributing and then building my own open source libraries. So projects that have come out of that are you know, things like React Table and React Query and some less well-known ones like React Charts and maybe React Virtual as well. Hey folks, one of the things that I find that really makes a difference for people being happy in their job is working in a place that makes a difference. And there's a terrific company out there that's looking to hire full stack developer just like you, and that's Faith Life. Their average tenure is five years. I mean, five years, that's forever in developer years. Usually I see people changing jobs every one to two years. People are sticking around because they're great. They have a great values-based culture and they are hiring developers in the United States. They're looking for full stack developers who can do C-sharp or JavaScript on the back end and React on the front end. Go check them out at devchat.tv slash faithlife. That's devchat.tv slash faithlife. That's awesome. So what does Nozzle, your startup, do? Nozzle is an interesting company. We, we essentially reverse engineer Google search rank rankings for companies. So we have a lot of clients who are very sophisticated when it comes to SEO and their marketing teams are, are very data-driven marketing teams. And they essentially use Nozzle to reverse engineer where they're ranking in Google and why. And they use that information for you know making new decisions about where they want to go with marketing or just simply to track how their efforts are doing. They'll use it for competitive research. They'll, we have companies that also use it just for general research papers about you know, what is SEO, how does Google affect SEO, that type of thing. So we're a pretty diverse tool simply because we're a data tool. So we just have so much data. I can't even remember how many terabytes of data we're generating either daily or monthly or something like that. But it all gets stuck into BigQuery and we make it available to our customers. So I know one of the projects that you're involved with or started was React Query, which I know is dealing with data. And did that come out of a need from Nozzle? Because I imagine a lot of what you have to do there involves a lot of, well, a lot of data to to manage around search results and such, or was that, did that, does that predate working there? You would think like, oh, React Query might come out of like a need for querying big data. But the pain point that React Query was born out of actually came from just the kind of monotonous reading and manipulation of like CRUD data. So our API is nothing super special. You know, we're just reading and writing entities through a REST server, users, teams, workspaces, like mostly hierarchical, slightly graphical entities. And I think this is a pretty normal operation for a lot of people who build SaaS applications is just inter interacting with these kind of REST servers. And when I was using our own REST server, I was like, wow, our API is great, but I just did not 
ever really enjoy how I was consuming that API in our application. Whether that was I actually used to be an Angular dev, so whether it was an Angular and then you know with Redux and then all of the all of the crazy different asynchronous Redux middlewares you can think of, MobX to I tried a lot of different solutions that claimed to make working with asynchronous data easier. And at the end of the day, it wasn't until React Hooks came out that I started building my own solution, which eventually turned into what React Query is today. Could you provide like an overview of what like what React Query is and what it does for people that are hearing about it for the very first time? Yeah, sure. So the tagline is uh, hooks for reading, updating, caching, and manipulating asynchronous data in React. And that's I know that's very vague, <laughs> but that's it really has to be that way because you can read and manipulate really anything with React Query that's asynchronous. And that's the whole idea behind React Query is that it's a state management solution for asynchronous and server state. There's a lot of talk these days about global state management and you know what global state manager do you use? And really what those people are saying they're talking about client state management that's globally accessible. And when you start to split those two things up, client state and server state, it becomes a little more clear what React Query is for. It's for managing your server state in a global way. So is the idea then, so if I'm like, if my app currently has just like a bunch of random fetch calls, like, you know, all over the place, would this instead be an option where instead I'm using this and getting my data through React Query instead, and then that's offering me all this, these like additional ways of doing things like caching built in? Yeah, and it, it kind of depends what you're using already or if you're greenfield as well. So like you said, if, if you're just using fetch and effects, use effect all over the place in your React application, React Query is absolutely going to replace basically all of that. And it's going to replace, like even at that very simple level, it's going to replace all of the state that you have to keep track of with those kind of operations. So loading, you know, fetching in the background, if you're even doing that, errors and results. So it removes all of that code and replaces it with just a single hook of this called use query. And that, that's at the most basic level. It's replacing a lot of code in your application. There's, there's people that go beyond that and they build their own custom, you know, use promise hooks or people use something like Redux with thunks and they're writing reducers and actions everywhere to manage all of that asynchronous state. You know, there's, a, there's usually, if somebody's using Redux to fetch data, usually they have a reducer that is tracking, you know, the loading and the data and the error state for every single asset that they have. It's, it's actually quite a bit of code just to do the same thing over and over again. Yeah, we're actually using uh, Axios under the hood for kind of a service layer where we connect and fetch data from all of our microservices in my team's application. But one of the things that I ran into a couple last week, actually, and had to figure out was cancel tokens. Does React Query offer things like canceling promises and caching? Because that was another thing that was just an absolute pain to get set up, but now, you know, makes everything so much faster when the same call goes through. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. That's kind of one of the most important pieces of React query is the caching bit. So even even without talking about like long-term caching or, you know, TTL style request stuff, like you're you're getting deduping out of the box. So some people don't know what deduping means, but basically you know, across your application you might be using 
the same asset four or five different times across your app. And the way that React hooks and all of our components are written is so that you don't have to worry about whether you're fetching it somewhere else or not. You just kind of put the hook in there and expect the data to you know, be retrieved. And React query out of the box will let you define a query for the same asset in like, you know, as many times as you want across your application. And it will turn all of those individual usages into a single request that goes out to your server. So all of your hook instances for a specific piece of server state, they all get shared. And it's one request to the server, you know, one, one piece of data stored in internally in React Query. It's, it does all of that automatically. You don't really have to do anything at all. And then I think you mentioned canceled tokens as well. Mm-hmm. Also, a really cool feature of React Query is since it's hooked into the component lifecycle, React Query knows when your queries or really they're more like subscriptions to remote data, when those are kind of mounting and unmounting in, in and out of your application. And if you ever like have big chunks of data that you like a component mounts on your screen and it goes to fetch you know, some data from the server. And then that component unmounts because the user doesn't care about it anymore. You can just do like a few little lines and wire up something like Axios's cancel token into React Query so that anytime a query becomes, you know, unused or kind of bails out, it will, it will send that same signal down to Axios and actually cancel the network download of that asset. It's really cool. You can do it with anything that supports like a signal or, or a cancel token. It's really neat. Nice. So you can actually build React Query on top of Axios? It's just a small integration layer. So in fact, I use Axios as well at Nozzle, kind of as like this proxy for getting all of our data, right? Mm -hmm. And all we do is just return a promise from Axios, but we tack on the cancellation token to the promise prototype. And then in React Query, we have a a hook that we wrap use query with that we just say, hey, there's a cancellation token on every single promise you're getting back from this API. And as long as you provide that token at the right API point to React Query, it handles all of the automatic cancellation for you. There's a section on it inside of the documentation that goes over how to wire it up for fetch as well. It's really simple, just a few lines. So a somewhat related question, since cache invalidation is like one of the three hardest problems in computer (laughs) science, right? I'm curious how that works. Like what is the, I guess, the default in React query? Like do you have to configure how long the cache lives or does it, can you configure it to like ping the server if there's new information or like, I guess, what's the the default strategy and how can you configure it sort of based off your, what you need for your own apps? Right. So it's, this also a great question because so many people ask this. I have a big section at the top of React Query documentation called important defaults, right? And it's like, hey, these are the things that you need to know before you use React Query so you don't get caught off guard. And I like to, I call them aggressive but sane defaults. (laughs) That's how I describe them to people. Because when it comes to invalidation, it's hard to make a lot of assumptions as a library developer about caching, right? And so what I've done with React Query is kind of out of the box, I take the safest route, maybe not the most performant route, but the safest route in saying, I want users to see up-to-date data in your application as often as possible. So out of the box, React Query will treat all data as something, it's a stale status. And when I say stale, meaning potentially out of date. And it treats all data as immediately 
stale. So the second you download a piece of data through React Query, it gets marked as stale and there is a potential for it to be refetched in the background very aggressively. And that's something that you can then tweak up and say, you know, okay, this particular query, I know that this data does not go stale for a while. A really simple example is like if you were to download a list of to-dos that you're sharing with other people across your organization, you would want that stale time to be very low and almost immediate because it could be changing all the time and you'd want it you'd want it to be considered stale, potentially out of date quite often so that you're getting the new versions of it from the server. Now compare that to something like grabbing a Pokemon from the Pokemon API, right? A, a Pokemon is not changing all that often. Within your user session, probably never. I mean, so you can you can crank up the stale time to infinity in that case and just say, you know what? After I have fetched this asset, I really don't want to refetch it again in the background unless I manually tell React Query that I want it to be refetched. So there's a big scale there for, you know, telling React Query what the nature of your data is in terms of how often is it out of date. And there's a a knob in React Query called stale time. And and that's how you control that. So out of the box, again, very aggressive, but it's it's great though, because the worst case scenario is that somebody's like, oh, it's really overfetching. Like it's fetching this asset a lot behind the scenes in the background. And and I'm like, okay, well, at least it's up to date. So crank up the stale time if you don't want it to get fetched as much. So I really like how you phrase the like aggressive but sane defaults because I I think that makes a lot of sense because I I know like for me it's important that these things are configurable but lots of times like I'm using a library because I wanted to do whatever the best practice is for me without having to do a lot of research so I I just really like the way you phrase that and I I also noticed like on the same page you have a section on optimistic updates so I'm curious your thoughts on because I know I've run into this a lot before as well like what's your recommendation for handling that you just update the state right away and like handle the error in case something goes wrong or like what recommendations do you have there yeah optimistic updates are are interesting mostly because when we're talking about just querying data and caching it's pretty easy to share the same concepts across everyone's apps when it comes to optimistic updates you start getting into how people's servers work and how their applications are tailored to the user experience and they differ greatly when it comes to mutations and something like an optimistic update. So the API in React Query is relatively flexible when it comes to optimistic updates. The way that I have taught people how to do optimistic updates is essentially when you if you're mutating something like, you know, you're you're adding a list, you're adding a to-do to a list of other to-dos on the server. You want to basically snapshot the old version of that to-do list before you perform the mutation and kind of hold on to it and then go and you know send the mutation to the server and wait and see what happens. And this is where you can make a decision as, as a software engineer, you can say, how, how aggressive do I want to be on optimistically showing the user what I think they're going to see? Because the minute they hit that add to-do button, you could just tack that new to do onto the end of that list and be like, yes, it's there. That's how reliable our API is, you know, <laughs> or, how reli- or how reliable our client side validation is, you know, that, that they didn't do something bad. And if that's the case, then yeah, like you can mutate the store and make it look like it was immediate and just kind of wait for that 
met yet that success message to come back. And if it does, then all is well. And then take take that on one end of the spectrum. And then all, on the other end of the spectrum, it's, it's like they hit that add to do button and you just kind of have to wait. And if it comes back successful, then you call an invalidation on the to-dos query and have it refetch from the server. Like that's kind of the slowest but safest route. You know, it's like, okay, we, we are getting the actual data, the actual result of this mutation from the server. So we know that it's good rather than trying to manufacture it our own. So it's kind of this balance. There's some places in Nozzle where I will do tons of optimistic updates and I'll be like, this never fails. This API is so stable right here. We're just going to add it, you know, onto the UI. The user thinks that it happened immediately and then just let them move on, you know. And there's other things where I'm like, no, if I let the user think that this (laughs) happened for real, but something went wrong on the server. And then we got to, then you talk about rollbacks, right? So React Query has this concept of having a rollback value or a rollback function that you can call. Really cool, very handy. So in the case that something bad does happen, you can roll back what you've changed. And that gets dicey when you start having multiple mutations on top of each other, which is something that I, I don't really know of any system that can do that really well, other than something like Git. <laughs> You know, like, but I but I don't want to build source control for my mutations. So, like, I think it's a good trade off. It's a good balance of being able to choose how aggressive you want to be with your optimistic updates. And all the tools to do that are in React Query. It just kind of is is up to you. So, if I was to try and get my team to start using this, is React Query something that you have to go all in on at once, or can you start kind of replacing stuff? component by component as you find new use cases for it or as you want to start adding in things like query retries or like you were saying, optimistic mutations or stuff like that? Is it, do you have to just like get everything at once or can you do it kind of piecemeal? I would say as long as you're using hooks across the board for accessing and manipulating your data, whether that's through Redux or MobX or whatever, if you're using hooks, then it is very easy to incrementally adopt React Query. There's people who are using Redux still for half of their system in React Query, and they're just, you know, gradually moving things over. And when it comes to, you know, retries and configuring things like that, again, it kind of comes back to the same defaults. Like React Query has automatic retries, you know, up to three retries, and it's exponential back off in between those retries. So it's relatively easy to just say, okay, we're going to take this Redux reducer or this, you know, some of this MobX code and just delete it and replace it with a custom hook of our own, something like use to do's. And then under the hood, that use to do's hook uses React query under the hood. And that actually brings up something else we could talk about later on about proxying business logic with custom hooks, but that's what people are doing and and they really like it. I just recently tweeted somebody who's like, hey, here's my first, just his first PR of removing some of their Redux code. And it was 4,000 deletions and 200 or 2,000 additions. And he privately messaged me and he's like, yeah, like basically all of that was just a bunch of reducers and action creators and stuff. I was like, sweet. That's so cool that you can just incrementally move things over. Yeah, I'm... Our team started out using Redux and as as hooks came about and we've started using context more and more just to... Because we, di- we just don't really need Redux for a lot of the stuff that we do. But we do, do still have some class-based components. So even with that, will React Query still work with us? 
Yeah, and in the same way that if you want to consume, if you want to consume hooks in your class components, you just have to create that wrapper component that will, you know, use the hook, instantiate it, and then and pass it down through props to your class components. And it's it's really the same thing. Use query. The use query hook just returns a single like query info object, and you could easily just pass that down to your class component through props, and it would work nice. just the same way. So very cool. So you I think it's I think it's interesting too that you brought up like you don't need Redux for a lot of things these days and I think we need to be very careful about this pendulum that we keep swinging on of well we got to use you know we need globally accessible objects so we swing to Redux and then well wait Redux is over engineered so we swing back to React context right and I I want I've been trying to educate people that it's about using the right tool for the right job and I have people who are like well how do I replace Redux with React query and I say well you wouldn't really replace all of it because Redux is meant for like so many different things. So some person recently that I was kind of consulting with on Twitter, he's like, I have a lot of client state in Redux still. How can I move that over to React Query? I'm like, no, you don't because it's not asynchronous. You know, he's like, wait, I can use them at the same time. Should I? And I said, absolutely. React Query is for your asynchronous state and Redux can be for your client state. Right. And I think that's a good rule of thumb basically everywhere. Even me, I'm using Zustand, which is a fun little Redux replacement, in my opinion, for all of our client state. So I use Zustand and React Query together. And that that's really just recently, just this week, that I tried Zustand out. And I was like, oh, I like this for, for client state management. And, and you can mix them together. So... A minute ago, you mentioned using custom hooks as like a way of proxying business logic. And I know that's a topic that I want to get into because you, in addition to all of this, I know you spent a lot of time working with custom hooks and talking about them as well. So I I do want to ask about like what you mean about like moving some of your business logic over, but maybe you could start by just like introing custom hooks and like why you feel like they're, because I've seen some of your, your posts and talks on them, why you feel that they are just an important thing for your average React developer to know and use? Yeah, custom hooks are my favorite, I think. They breathed new life into React for me when they came out. I was so excited. In fact, they got me so excited that I started live streaming solely about React hooks. I wrote libraries that would port React hooks back into old versions of React. And I I started migrating all of my libraries over to it because they're so neat and so cool. And honestly, it wasn't even till a few months later, even for me doing all of that work that I was like, you know what? Hooks are awesome, but really the ability to create custom hooks is the most important feature of all of this. And it ended up turning into a talk that I gave at JSConf Hawaii about how custom hooks are the they're really, I call it, I called it the ultimate abstraction layer for React because it really is the ability to encapsulate logic and business logic and life cycle and side effects and kind of all of this other stuff that isn't components and props and styles. The ability to compose all of that other stuff into these reusable blocks was a really big pain point and missing piece for React that you could see everyone struggling with over the years. Like at first it was mix-ins and that just didn't feel right. And then they're like, well, actually higher order components. And and then you have all this weird higher order component nesting. And, and then as somebody smart was like, whoa, what about like render, you can render the children as a function. Wow. And then you can pass stuff to that. 
And somebody's like, no, use the render prop. Well, no, you should, you know, and there, all these conventions came out of that and it, it affected the entire ecosystem that they were like, there's plugins and, and libraries in the React ecosystem using these patterns and really pushing the limits. Like I can remember when every cool library I used used a render prop like you know react spring and a lot of animation ones and they were experimenting with this render prop thing but you could still see that it just was like not comfortable to do that and react hooks solved all of that like it just blew all of that out of the water and i think that the real ability that it gives us is the ability to take a bunch of hairy nasty logic that we don't want to see in our components and just shove it into a function and import it anywhere we want in our react applications and call it and i like i like to use the example of in fact react query is honestly a great example because every library i build now is just a big giant bat custom hook <laughs> like react query has a hook called use query and it is the main query of of the entire library it's just one huge custom hook and there's so much logic that sits behind it but as a user you don't know that and you don't care you just import use query and you call it and it's magical and it just works but you you can do that on your own in your own applications and that's kind of what i was trying to get at in that talk at jsconf hawaii was that if you have hairy logic you know it's worth it to just throw it into a custom hook and put it in its own file i have an entire directory of custom hooks for like everything for everything whether it's popping a new up a new toast every single crud asset we have in our entire entire application has its own custom hook and those custom hooks use react query under the hood and i really like that idea because heaven forbid in the future if i stop using react query for some crazy reason all of my custom hooks that i consume in my components they won't know they won't care I could change out my implementation details on how I'm actually getting my users or my workspaces or teams. And all of the code that I really touch a lot and care about in the components will have no idea. And it doesn't need to know. And it's a great place. Like somebody, that same person who's like, wait, I can use React Query and Redux in the same, you know, in the same project. I'm like, yeah, and guess what? Your components don't even need to know about it. You could use it. You could create a custom hook that's like use to-dos and theme. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a terrible custom hook name, but inside that custom hook, you could have use query pulling data from the server and you could have, you know, use sidebar layout pulling data from, you know, client state. And you can mix those together and then return it back out of your custom hook. So to the user of that custom hook, it just feels like it, it, who cares where the data comes from? Could come from the server, come from local storage, could be whatever. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. And I think that's that's the real beauty of custom hooks for me is it makes all of this data and all of the business logic that we work with, it kind of puts it all in the same playing field. It's all on level ground and we can swap it out at any time. I, I love swapping stuff out. Deleting code, that's my main objective. And it's really easy to go in and refactor a custom hook and say, as long as the output is the same, I could refactor and delete half of this code. You know, that's like, that's like my favorite thing to do. <laughs> Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it, the only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is 
awesome at this. They, they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick, and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it. Grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at reactroundup.com slash Raygun. Everything that you're saying right now makes me want to start over on our, our application and just like clean slate the whole thing. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't have to clean slate. That's the thing is you can just pick. I like to tell people pick components that are really far down in your tree so they don't you know create rifts throughout your application, but choose leaf node components you know, the really deep components that that have like weird, funny logic and just start porting those over to use hooks. And then once all of the leaf nodes, you know, of the higher node are, are ported over to hooks, then you can just keep moving up the chain. It makes it really easy to migrate. Are there any like, I guess, processes you go through in your head? Like if I'm writing a chunk of code for my React app, what would make that bit of logic well-suited for a hook or maybe not well-suited for a hook? Like if it's just like generic business logic, like I have, you know, I have users and I need to do some like filtering logic on it or something. Like, am I putting that in a hook or like what, what sort of considerations do you take before you put a set of logic behind a hook? I like to kind of wear the hat of the thing I'm working on. So if I'm in a component that's displaying, you know, some users and I, I like to ask myself, okay, if I'm this component, do I care about how those users get to me? And if the answer is no, then it can be a custom hook. You asked about filtering. If I'm filtering those users, if I'm the custom hook displaying those users, do I care about how they're being filtered? Probably, in my opinion, I think that's probably very tied to the display of those users. And so that might be something that doesn't need to be a custom hook and can just live in the component. Or it's not so binary. It can be, well, it is a custom hook, but it lives outside of the function of the component, but in the same file, which is also really nice too. It's like, hey, I got the users. Let's filter the users. Oh, that's just a function here in this file that filters the users. Okay, now we're back into the component. So you kind of just like have to take on the identity of the component that you're working in and just ask yourself, like, what do I care about? Am I, am I sharing this? Do I want ownership? You know, how much of this do I want to be a part of? And do some of the same considerations apply to like folder structure? Like when you are externalizing the hooks, like would you, I guess, do you like scope them folder wise to where you intend them to be used? Like global hooks versus like grouping them with a certain feature? I mean, I know folder structure questions are like yeah. hard folder, and uh, folder structure questions are like a black hole. Yeah. Actually, uh, just tell you, solve folder structure for us here. And we'll like, I'll give you like one or two minutes. Just give us all the guidelines we need to make our lives easy. All right, ready? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if if code doesn't belong in a component and it needs to be a custom hook, then first it will move to a function in that file. Then if I need to share that function, that custom hook with anything else in the application, I don't waste time with like, where do I put it in my folder structure? I have a root folder called hooks and they're pure functions, like they're pure hooks, you know, maybe they import other hooks, but I just make a new file in there, put it in there and import it. 
And I like that because I have absolute imports set up on my projects. So I'm just like, oh, I need that hook. Import hook slash whatever. And I kind of do the same thing with components and screens. It's like, okay, I have folder structure when it pertains to like my routing and my screens. That makes sense to me. I love that. When it comes to like just random UI components or, you know, I've got this pivot table component or, I, you know, I've got this like special dropdown or whatever. I name the file special dropdown, you know, .js and I put it in components slash file name. It's huge. It's a huge folder, but I don't care because I have absolute imports. So I, that might not sit well with a lot of people who are like, well, if you should only put files next to where they're being used. I'm like, I don't care. Because semantically in my code, I can import that flat file list from anywhere. So I don't care. I don't care where it goes. And it's also nice because then when somebody else does the same thing, creates a custom hook, and they're like, oh, my special late, you know, my special filter hook. They go to create the file and they're like, whoa, there's already a hook there called use special filter. Maybe I should look at that and try and use it before I create my, you know. So it's that classic debate between should you have a utilities folder or not? And I like having a utilities folder and I like having everything flat. Creates good visibility. Yeah, it reminds me of, because uh, you said you used to do Angular and it's it's funny. I, I actually lean towards your approach as well, but I know Angular is very, very big on the like, group by feature and their style guys will like list that out, right? Like that you created these, these like, nested feature folders and grouping things by that. So like my Angular brain sort of rejects that, but like I think what I like about React is it tends to be more pragmatic and practical in practice. So I I like that. That was pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah, I agree. Pragmatism is high for React. It's... <laughs> <laughs> so Tanner, how long did it take you to go from I need or I want to make this state management of React query to make everyone's lives easier to actually having something that people could start using? Ooh, um, that's a good question. You actually got me curious. I'm going to look up when my first commit to the React query, uh, to the React query repo was. I wonder what the fastest way to do that. 869 commits. I don't know how to go to the first page, but I feel like it was, it was at the beginning of 2019. Okay. Because React hooks came out beginning of 2018. I think, mm-hmm. or at least they were announced. Yeah, and, and then, then everyone floundered around for months trying to figure out how use effect and use state worked and what use <laughs> yeah. ref was for. <laughs> and like, and during that time from 2018 to 2019, it was kind of like, I have to be able to replace Redux and Thunks and middleware with hooks. I just have to. And <laughs> I remember writing so many weird implementations using hooks and I'm like, I have effects everywhere and so many refs, I can't keep track of them. And this this is crazy. I'm getting into infinite render loops and stuff. And my use effects are causing infinite renders. And, and I remember just at one day, like maybe in January or February of 2019, that I just saw this pattern across all the files that I'd implemented this garbage that was working. But I was like, whoa, I just found it. Here's the pattern, you know, that works for all these different assets. And I ripped it out into a custom hook called use query. And I was like, oh, use query. That kind of sounds like Apollo and you know, some of this other stuff. Like, 
whatever. I'm just going to call it use query. And that's kind of where it started. And I, I really loved it and just kind of immersed myself in it. It was not too long. I feel like it was only a month or two. I feel like when I have an idea, it's very fast. Like when I can see the finish line, it doesn't take me very long to, to get there. It's just figuring out the public API and writing the docs, you know, making it so that it's usable for more people than just me. And yeah, I think that was it. React Query has only been out for seven or eight months, I think. So do you have a lot of people already eager to contribute and, you know, be part of it? Yeah, there are a lot of people. In fact, I'm going to look it up right now because you're asking some fun questions. This is like, (laughs) I know it's only been seven or eight months, but I'm like, the history of React Query. (laughs) It's got, let's see, it has 10,800 stars. Why can't I see contributors? Oh, they moved it. The new GitHub layout is taking me for a spin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was looking for the same thing. (laughs) Oh, there it is. So there's 160 contributors right now to React Query. I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so I guess one question I have too, since you you are behind a lot of these things that have done so well is, do you have any advice to people? Because I've put out a lot of open source crap that does not have 10,000 stars. And do you have any like recommendations for things that help an open source project like this succeed? Do you think like there's like, what things have you done that you think have helped propel some of these? Were they just like right place, right time, good documentation? I'm sort of curious what sort of things have worked for you. It's there, it's always right place, right time, but that's not just luck. You can kind of create that on your own. The things that come to mind for me are, I like to think of the open source ecosystem and also just like, you know, the open market for businesses is like, it's just a huge Venn diagram on the whiteboard, you know, and there's circles for companies and circles for libraries that are just covering all of these different necessities and and use cases that all of us have. And so I kind of tried to apply the same the same idea from, you know, the business approach that we take at Nozzle to open source and say, I'm going to go try everything out there. I'm going to try every state management library that comes my way, which there's a new one born every day. (laughs) And I'm going to try every single charting library. I'm going to try to build a table with every library that is out there for the space that I care about, which was just React. And I, I feel like I evaluated every single one of these. And even since then, there've been new ones come out that I haven't evaluated, but I took a deep dive and tried all of these. I rewrote our entire API to GraphQL and tried Apollo, like holistically tried it. I went all in on Redux. I went all in and tried MobX. And I felt like after I had done that, I could throw up a whiteboard and say, this is React state management today. Draw a bunch of big circles, right? Here's what it solves. Here's what it doesn't. Here's like the big gaps in the ecosystem. And once you know what those gaps are, you can answer the question pretty easily. Do people care about those gaps? And do I have the ability to fill a need? And with React Query, it was like instant, yes, big gap here, not just you know as a utility library, but as a concept of server state versus client state. That's still, I'm still trying to educate people about that. And once that was in place and I could see the gap, it, it was just a big giant nail. And I needed to build the hammer, built the hammer. And I, I'm still trying to pound that nail and, you know, trying to, you know, do conferences and talks and, and educate people, not just about React Query, but about server state and client state. And I feel like it's going really well. And, you know, the other missing pieces, the kind of magical, the pixie dust that you need for your open source library, I think a lot of it comes down to 
building great documentation, which I, I don't believe I'm very good at, but I try my best. Marketing, again, I'm not a great marketer, but I'm trying my best. You have to put in the time to market something if you're passionate about it. And some people are like, well, that that sounds kind of evil. But marketing open source, shouldn't it just be, shouldn't it just kind of be, you know, organic? And it's like, no, if you care about something and you believe you have a good solution, you need to market it. <laughs> Look at yeah. Apple. That's marketing, right? Oh, there. You, no, I'm with you. It's like, I'm basically a full-time marketer at this point in my career. So I, I totally get what you're saying. And I, I think too, like looking at your repos, just like little things, it's amazing. Like you have a nice clear banner of the thing. Like it looks professional, like a clear links to the docs, very well organized. It's like little things like that, I think really do matter just because I, I know as software developers, I'm guilty of this too, sometimes can evaluate something in like a split second and decide to like close a tab or not. So like all those little like marketing tricks of like at least people giving like a hook of like, here's the problem. I solve, right? Like a very clear statement of what you do and why you should care. And just looking at your repos, I think you're quite good at that. Because even me, I wasn't aware of some of these things existed. And I feel like I already at least know like, oh, if I need, you know, a query solution, at least in the back of my head, I'll know, oh, that's, you know, React Query is out there. And when I have that problem, I know where to look. Yeah. You brought another thing up in my mind really quick about people ask me why, why all the generic names, you know? And <laughs> I, I'm a big fan. It, it kind of comes out of like the way that I code too, is like call things what they are, you know? And they're like, well, it doesn't that make it confusing for finding things on Stack Overflow? I'm like, I hope nobody has to go to Stack Overflow. But it's nice because, uh, you know, there's organic SEO there. You, saw, you talked about like searching for libraries and stuff. It yeah. might be hard to rank for that, but eventually when you type React Query into Google, <laughs> you know, you're going to find <laughs> React Query. And yeah, I think just like what you said, showing people the problem as quickly as possible and showing them how you can solve it. Nothing well, works better than that. Theoretically too, you should have an SEO edge on any of your competitors too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pros and cons, you know, it's pros and cons. Somebody's like, why not, why not a unique name, you know, something really funky. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not that, I guess I'm not that creative for names, but yeah. It's also easy to remember react dash something. Yeah. It's probably exactly. mine. <laughs> yeah. I think you're going to get a lot more people just finding it by Googling how to do a, a query in react than you would if you'd named it something completely out of the blue. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then there's those people that are like, I can't find, you know, some answer for this question because I'm Googling React Query and Google doesn't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, All right, well, just give it time, you know. Well, Tanner, thanks for talking with us. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you think we should? You know, I think there's a lot of attention on React Query these days because it's definitely more popular and more like it's more generally applicable to the ecosystem as a whole. But my first library that I, I really was passionate about and, and is still close to my open source heart is uh, React Table. And React Table could be its own, its whole episode, but <laughs> React Table is really cool as well. Definitely check that out. I've got a lot of tools and they're all kind of housed under this name of 10 stack, which started as a joke from some of my online friends. They're like, it's the 10 stack. And I'm like, ha ha ha. Wait, that is great <laughs> branding. I'm going to use that. <laughs> Look, 10 stack.com is available. Wow. It's a sign. <laughs> See, I think you've got more of a future in marketing than you realize. You say you're not good at marketing, but I think you've got a, a like bit of eye for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, Nozzle you know, has taught me a lot. Like I, I, I didn't know anything about SEO, still don't know that much about SEO, but Nozzle has definitely taught me a lot about how 
marketing and organic, you know, search engine optimization works. So absolutely. Running your own company will do that for sure. So if people want to learn more about you or get in contact or, you know, see some of the awesome stuff that you've built, where can they find you? Wow. (laughs) Well, Tanner Lindsley, just one word, Tanner Lindsley. And I know my last name is kind of weird. There's an L in there. There's two. Lindsley, right? But my name, basically just Google my name. I have Twitter and YouTube. And, you know, if you're really weird, you could try and follow me on Instagram. Probably not going to get accepted. <laughs> but, you know, any anywhere Tanner Lindsley is, is kind of my handle. And you can find me just about anywhere. I have a really obscure like blog, TannerLindsley.com. It's got like four blog posts. <laughs> but really, I spend most of my time like on GitHub. So GitHub.com slash Tanner Lindsley and Twitter dot com slash Tanner Lindsley is where is where you'll find most of my online activity these days. Awesome. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12 week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. So now this is the part of the show where we go into picks. Every week we talk about something that's cool for us. It could be code related. It could be books, TV shows, products, whatever you want to talk about. So I will start us off. My pick actually this week is going to be car related. It is, it is for Meguiar's natural shine protectant. So I am not a car person, but my husband is a big car person. And really, you know, he loves buffers and wax and clay bar and all kinds of stuff that I don't know about and don't really care about, but it keeps our cars looking really nice. So this week, he was kind enough to vacuum out and clean the entire inside of my car, which really, really needed it. We've been driving around a lot and just tracking in, you know, dirt and bugs and dust and the usual stuff. So this... Meguiar's natural shine protectant, you just spray it on and then wipe it off anywhere inside that's plastic or vinyl or rubber or something like that. And instantly your car looks better and smells like a new car again. And it's really easy to use. So I would highly recommend that. And that's my plug for this week. (laughs) So TJ, what do you got for us? Yeah, I've got a somewhat random one as well. I actually don't know if I picked this before, but I'll pick Lilo and Stitch the series. So you might know Lilo and Stitch, the movie that Disney did, but I discovered, we discovered a few months ago that there's actually a mini series they did with like TV episode length, 50 shows of it. And it's actually surprisingly pretty decent. So we discovered it on Disney Plus. So that's probably where you'll have to watch it. And it's definitely more of a a kid show. So if you have kids that are in the right age range, my kids are are nine. And if you've seen the movie and you liked it, it's, it's worth checking out and watching. We had a lot of fun watching through that. So that is my pick. So Tanner, do you have any picks? I got some picks. I didn't know about the picks until five minutes ago. So I'm like, oh, what are my picks? What are my picks? So I might have a few. I'd say like, so in like entertainment right now, me and my wife have been going through the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. And wow, what a, like, what a surprisingly great series. Like it was always there and I'm like, eh, it looks interesting. And now I'm loving it. And we just, we just finished season one and we started in season two last night. And I was like, wow, this is such a cool show. I love shows like that. 
reminds me of like Lock and Key, which is another great one. And, and you know, obviously like Stranger Things. It's just like really immersive. So that's like my entertainment pick of today. My tech pick, one of my tech picks would be like Zustand. I don't know where it came from or why I didn't know about it earlier. I guess I'd kind of how, heard about it, but... How do you spell that? I'm I'm very curious. I've never even heard Z-U-S-T-A-N-D, of this. Z-U-S-T-A-N-D, I think. I don't know if it's called Zustand or Zustand. <laughs> like... <laughs> Who knows? But it is fun. And I admire its bundle size. It is tiny. It's like so impressive. And it's got types and then learning TypeScript. So I was like, wow, this is crazy. So Zestand, really cool. I'm oh my gosh, the the I, I know this is a an audio the, podcast. The landing the logo, page is amazing. Yes. The, the logo is nuts. So if the you're there. Yeah. So oh, you gotta go to you gotta go to the website. Oh I, go okay. To, Zistand.surge.sh. Oh my gosh, this website is awesome. It is so much fun. Like I, I feel like I'm playing like a video game, like little, like the little Zelda remake they did on from the Game Boy. You know, like it's just yes. cute, it's cute, playful, and yeah, makes People makes are you so want creative. To use, Who dreams this up? I, it makes you want to use the library. Let's be honest. It does. See, now, now, Tanner, I'm now judging your choices of React Query. You could like Zus. Where was the idea of Zustan with a bear playing a guitar? Yeah. Well, maybe I will hire Tina Henschel. <laughs> <laughs> who did the illustrations to do some React query work? Who knows? Yeah, that uh, seems like a solid choice. Yeah. <laughs> Dustin, what would be another? I guess my last pick would probably be this is my shameless pick, but it's top of my mind recently is my React Query Essentials course. Talk about marketing. Like I've been trying to, you know, market that really well, but I have an entire course on React Query from me. <laughs> my first course. So I'm like, at the same time, there's a ton of imposter syndrome there. Watching people like Ken C. Dodds create these amazing courses, you know, with partnered with Egghead. And I'm just like over here hacking through it on my, like some of my own, but I'm really proud of it. And I, I think it's a great course. So that would be my, my shameless pick. We should go check out React Query Essentials. Is it the one on Teachable? Just so I make sure I put the right link in the show notes. Yep, it is the one on Teachable. Okay. And I've got team discounts now. Woohoo! Awesome. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much. Those are all great picks. And thanks for joining us. It's been really fun talking to you and hearing what you're up to. This has been a blast. I, I love this. I, I don't get enough social interaction right now. I don't think yeah. any of us do. <laughs> so this has definitely felt like just like hanging out with best buds. <laughs> nice. Awesome. That's exactly what we want it to feel like. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. This is another episode of React Roundup and we'll see you next time. Bye everyone. See ya. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.